Hashtag murder may contain explicit and disturbing material and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. And I'm Alex. And we're millennials who love murder. And biscuits. And biscuits mm-hmm. from the Bojangles. Oh, uh, I say Bohangles to make uh, Kayla's child Ray uh, <laughs> angsty. She does not like it. <laughs> Bohangles. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's kind of fun. Um, ooh, I got a new pair of glasses. Ooh, I do like those. Yeah. I like the shape. I mixed it up. Usually I just get black hair. Frames. Yours. The one's mine. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do something different Oh, you got Versace. They are Versace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got that good insurance the Versace. now. Versace. I know. And I also made Dustin get new glasses. Mm-hmm. And he's on my insurance as my dependent. Is he going to lick them and clean them? <laughs> he better fucking not. <laughs> not a brand new pair of glasses. They still transition. I allowed that. Okay. But they are better. Okay. They're plastic. They're not wire. They're like a light blue, so they match his eyes. Okay. So it's going to be so much better. From the second I met him, I was like, those glasses got to go. They they got to fix that. They got to get out of here. Oh, man. And after we record today, Mm -hmm. we're going to the goddamn fair. We're going to Redneck (laughs) Mania. I'm so excited. Can we do a mullet count? I have a mullet, so we're already at one. We're at one. Oh. Oh my god. Oh, I totally forgot. Um, so this morning I woke up and mm-hmm. I looked at my notes. Okay. And at like three AM I had I guess was semi awake and I typed a note into my phone that said, Can you be sunburned after you're dead? Like it can a dead body get sunburned? Let's take a Google. <laughs> so I'm Googling. <laughs> I have no idea what prompted this at three AM. Um, but I felt the need to write that down and I feel like I need to know the answer. So we are going to Google it. Okay. So a dead body can be burned by the sun, but will not like turn red. It'll just like shrivel up. So it just speeds up the decomp process. Going red is a circulatory response to the burn and it will not occur because your like skin cells are dead at that point because you're not, you're, you're unalived. That's so weird. So you have to be alive to be sunburned. Yep. Same with tanning. You will not tan as a corpse. Wow. So, yeah. Make sure you hit the the tanning bed before (laughs) you got to always be prepared. Yeah. If you want to be tan. Make sure you're wearing clean underwear and you go get your tan. Yep. Would your tan, if you were, if you did have a tan, would that fade after you're dead or would it just stay there forever? Um, oh, hold on. Let's Google. Because, like, I don't know. These are the things I think about at 3 a.m. No, you will not keep the fan, the tan forever, oh. as the body does not retain its integrity for more than about four days, unless it's embalmed, which will slow the decay for a couple weeks. Oh. But no, it'll go away. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Hmm. As long as your funeral is within three days, you're good to go. Then you're good. So you're going to look great, babe. <laughs> you're going to look fantastic. Oh, my God. Um. So, had to get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. But... 
today. Okay. I once again. You say this every time. I say it every time. I know time. what you're going to say. They're bonkers. They're crazy. It's sad. It's tragic. It's wild. This one is shocking. And actually is kind of reminiscent of someone else we have covered. Okay. Who I'm not going to tell you who that is. Are you going to let me guess? You'll figure it out oh, okay. by the end. Um, but let's get into it. Let's go. <clears throat> it's a scar episode today, folks. Yeah. Yay. And I am going to tell you the tragedy of the Kydale family. Kydale. Kydale. I had to literally spell it out because I kept saying Kydale. It's Kydale. Oh. It reminds me of Kendra's last name is Rodell. So it reminds me of Kendra Rodell. Oh. Yeah. It's the same. It's very um, redneck sounding. (laughs) Kydale. (laughs) Like when you look at it, you think it looks a little Polish and then you say it and you're like, fuck. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, we totally Americanized it. Um, So yeah, this one's shocking and horrifying. So strap in. Let's go. We're going to start by talking about a little lady named Diane Kidder. And Diane was born April 19th, 1935. Oh, Aries. She and Aries. And she was born to parents Virgil and Margaret. But she's borderline Taurus, which is, you know, the elite yeah, and sign. That's, that's a great combo. Aries to Taurus. Mm-hmm. That's a great. gem of a human being right yep. there. Love it. Love you. When Diane was 21 in 1956, she decided that she was going to go help out her father and work at his grocery store in Peoria, Illinois, called Kidder's Confectionery and Grocery Store. Store. (laughs) Grocery store. Grocery. The the grocery. (laughs) And the reason why Diane went to go work here is because she had just gotten divorced and she had a two-year-old little girl named Karen Susan who went by Susie. That is the oldest white lady name I've ever heard. <laughs> Karen Susan. I know. So Diane had to take care of her and... It, Diane's 21. She is so 21. She had her when she was 19 and so, she was already married. That's yeah, wild. So divorced and... I mean, we're in the 50s, so I guess that tracks. Yeah. So she's getting her, getting her life together. So while working at this grocery store, <laughs> Diane... <laughs> I didn't put store after any of those. Uh, Diane takes a liking to one of her co-workers, a local boy named Lyle Eugene Kaidel. And he goes by Gene, and Gene is not cute. Oh, no. <laughs> He's really not cute. His face is very long and narrow, and he just, he doesn't do it for me. Um, but he doesn't look like Kurt Russell, you mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, love you, honey. <laughs> Um, but Diane thought he was cute and uh, had a very charming personality, so she was smitten, and they ended up getting together. All right. You know what? Sometimes the ugly ducklings, they have to get lucky, too. Yeah, that's true. Hold on. Let me show you a photo of him real quick. Oh, no. That's, yeah. Now, okay, so that's Jean. This is Diane, and they kept showing her photo on, I watched like two or three shows about this. They kept showing her photo and I was like, she has my same exact face shape. Yeah, she does. Like, it's the, it's the cheeks. I know. And like, kind of just like the rounded face. I don't know. It kind of creeped me out every time they showed her photo. Um, but anyways, Diane and Jean dated for about a year and they decided to tie the knot in 1960. After they got married, they moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And I don't really know why they moved here, because they didn't know anyone here. But Jean got a job in the construction business, and Diane got a job in the baby-making business. We love the baby-making business. <laughs> and her and Jean had three more children together, named Greg, Kelly, and Lori. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> Lori! Uh, 
which Dustin is on a kick of calling Alex Lori. Yes. If you, if, for those of you that don't know, Alex is actually my middle name, and Lori is my first government name. Yes. Um, and but. Dustin just loves it so much. He loves being a menace. And Clinton does it too. <laughs> Clinton calls me Lori Lewis all the fucking time. Oh my god. Uh, so, yeah. So we have Greg, Kelly, and Lori. But unfortunately, by 1966, the marriage was extremely rocky, and after they had already had three children, they decided that they need to separate and get a divorce. And Gene had become super abusive to his wife, Diane, and the four children. And the kids. Yeah. This is very 50s. I know. So, and a lot of this story is actually going to revolve around Lori. Oh, um, so she's going to come back throughout this. So Lori, the youngest, states that her father would just yell and scream and throw things for like hours. And he would call Diane a whore and a tramp and threaten to leave constantly. But Lori thought this was like what every family was like. I mean, that's that's all you've experienced. And that's what, you know. Yeah, she had no reason to think any differently. Um and she tells this story about this one time when all four of the kids were swimming in the pool in the backyard. They did have an in-ground pool. It's pretty bougie. That's pretty bougie. And Jean was yelling at them, saying things like, your mother and I are going to get divorced, and I'm the only provider, and you're all going to starve to death. Like, saying this to his children, who are between the ages of four and twelve. Yeah. Not cool. And one time, whenever he said this, Diane overheard through an open window in the kitchen and he threw or she threw a radio at gene and nailed him straight in the head hell yeah <laughs> yeah oh good girl diane and then she went to comfort the children and letting them know that she would not let anything bad happen to them good mama yes so in the midst of this divorce gene had moved out of the family home in mid-1966 and the little house on citrus way became quiet and calm for the first time ever ah bliss i know so on september 17th 1966 gene and diane go out to dinner guess where they went oh god <laughs> they met for dinner the outback <laughs> Outback was a thing yet. I don't know either. Um, Applebee's. No, another good guess. Oh, they went to Taco Bell. You know what? The fanciest <laughs> of Mexican cuisine. So they go to Taco Bell and they're going over like the divorce and the custody and the property and who's going to get what and the car and the house and all that shit. Everything. I'm glad my divorce is not like this at all. Yeah. It was real easy. Like, easiest thing ever. Yeah. And just having to figure out timing and where people are gonna live and it's just yeah it's way easier it's a whole thing mm -hmm. yeah so or yours was way easier than this yes so this meeting by all accounts went as well as it could and after dinner diane dropped gene off at his father's apartment that he'd been staying in and then diane after dropping gene off goes to this bar inside of a hotel called the amber inn and she goes here to meet up with her new boo thing Named Bob Marlin. Bob Marley? <laughs> Not Marlene, Bob Marlin. And she's been casually dating this Bob guy for the past, like, few months or so. Cute. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to come back to Bob. So a few hours after Diane had dropped off Jean, Jean calls Diane at their house, and Susie, the oldest daughter, answers the phone, and she's all, Mom is in here, we're here with a babysitter. 
Which pisses Jean off. You're divorced, sir. You don't get to pick what she does. Yeah. And you don't, she, you don't it's get not like she left him there alone. Yeah. She got a babysitter. Yeah, she did the responsible thing and got a babysitter. Yeah. So this prompts Jean to go over to the house to look after the children. And he excuses the babysitter. And it's getting late, so he puts all the kids to bed. And he lies down on the couch and falls asleep, waiting for Diane to get home. I would be so fucking pissed if I came home from a date and my ex-husband was there. Yeah, sleeping on my couch. Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Uh, the next morning, everyone wakes up and Jean notices Diane's car in the driveway parked under the carport, but no Diane. Her keys were there. Her purse was there. Literally everything she had was at home. But no Diane. But no Diane. So this is weird. Because she killed her. Well. Oh. <laughs> it's always the husband. <laughs> You don't know that. I always know this. You don't know it. Uh, Except for the one burger thing. The which one? The 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 burger buns one. The hamburger buns. Christine? Oh yeah. Sandy Bane, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't her um it was not her boyfriend. It was not her boyfriend. Not one time. I know. Um not gonna tell you who it is because you should go listen to that episode after you finish this one. But you will hear me say <laughs> it was the boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, okay. So all of her stuff is there. So she's been there at some point. So this prompts Gene to call the police and he files a missing persons report for Diane. You don't know it was him. <laughs> uh, and the police are a little confused because, like, Diane was not the kind of person to just get up and leave her children behind. Like, leave her entire family. And family members and close friends, everyone said she was a great mother and would not have abandoned her children like that. No. So remember Bob? Bob Marlin. <laughs> Fucking Bob. Well, this is completely insane. So Bob Marlin, who Diane had been dating and who she was with the night before she disappeared, police want to speak with him to see if he knows anything. Turns out Bob died. The fuck? The day after their date. What the fuck? <laughs> From a heart attack. I'm not laughing because he died. I'm just laughing. That's horrible timing. <laughs> so, that's such bad timing. Uh, so, no more Bob. And what if he knows something? Now we'll literally we'll never know. We'll never know. Because he died the next he died. day. We got to pull out our Ouija board. Oh, poor Bob. So sorry, Bob. So, two days after Diane went missing, Gene moved back into the family home, you know, because he's got four children. Yeah. Who that... are apparently motherless now. I wonder why they are motherless. And Gene. <laughs> and Gene is convinced and told everyone who asked that Diane had ran off with some other secret lover. I mean, someone because he's dead. <laughs> someone clearly other than Bob. Maybe she's a lesbian. <laughs> Uh, well, she could have been. I mean, 60s, you would never have known. That's true. So, four months after Diane's disappearance, we're in January of 1967, and tragedy strikes the Kaidel household yet again. And this is going to be bad. Oh. So, I do apologize in advance. So, around 9 p.m., Jean had gone alone to the laundromat. Why are you doing your laundry at 9 o'clock at night? Yeah, Jean. While your kids are home. Yeah. And while doing this, um, a fire broke out at the Kaidel home. 
and the fire spread through the house real quick because like wasn't everything in the 60s made of like, like everything <laughs> flammable flammable material <laughs> nothing was flame resistant so the house is being destroyed and the four children are trapped in their rooms hold on they don't have a babysitter there gene nope weird they sure didn't huh. you're right huh weird okay that's uh that's a good um what's the word Thank you for pointing that out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> double standards. <laughs> yeah, say. yes, double standard. That's what I was trying to think of. Okay, so here comes the sad, the sadness. So best big sister ever, Susie, tries to round up her sisters and brother, and Susie gets to five-year-old Lori and tries to guide her and Kelly through the flames, and Lori runs back into the bedroom because she wanted her Winnie the Pooh stuffed animal. That's sweet. So Susie runs after Lori, and they both get trapped in the burning bedroom. Lori lays down and starts to cry, already being badly burned by the fire, and Susie lays down on top of her and tries to calm her down. And Susie tells her that the rescuers will be there soon, and just try and stay calm, and that she loved her very much, and that she would never ever leave her. That's so sweet. I know. So, sadly... 12-year-old Susie did not survive. Poor Susie. You said we weren't doing any more children's deaths. I know. But she she died protecting her sister, and Lori did survive. Okay. So if she had not, like, Protected her laid sister. down on top of her, Lori probably would not be here. So Lori survived. She did have terrible burns on over more than half of her body. Ooh. Yeah. Lori later stated that, quote... The horror and trauma and nightmares of it never go away, but I try to overcome that with knowing that I was loved, that I was valuable enough to die for, and that we both died that night. End quote. <sighs> so, Gene shows back up from doing his goddamn laundry at 9pm. Oh. Um, he shows back up to the house just as the firefighters were pulling his dying children from their burning home and laying them between the mulberry trees in the backyard trying to resuscitate them, save their lives, and mm -hmm. Lori survives. Kelly, who was eight, was found lying in her bed, and she also did not survive the fire. But Greg, who was nine, did survive by jumping out of a second-story window he'd ripped the screen out of. Oh, my God. So, don't really know what happened with him. There wasn't a whole lot. He probably at least broke his legs. Or yeah. At least one. Oh, yeah. Ugh. So, Sorry. For that but it is a major part of the story so kelly and Susie did not make it Lori and greg did okay investigators found that an aluminum pot had melted on the stove and the pot had overheated and exploded apparently shooting metal like shards onto nearby curtains and the curtains caught fire i don't know if that's a thing or not i mean back then <laughs> but they i were made guess differently, so yeah, and that the knob on the stove was on the on position, so this was determined to be the cause of the fire, and it was ruled an accident. Okay. So, Lori spent four months in the hospital recovering from her third, fourth, and fifth degree burns. I didn't even know they went that high. I didn't either. I third was the highest. Yeah, so... Not so fun fact, a fifth degree burn is whenever it reaches your bones and your oh, bones start to melt. Ew. Yeah. 
She was burned so badly that it burnt off parts of her ribs all over the front part of her body and her right side of her face and her neck. And she was five. Poor baby. Little angel baby. Yeah. And like whenever you're like, okay, God damn it. What am I trying to say? She's five. Mm -hmm. She's got a lot of growing to do. If your skin is melted like that, I can only imagine that like, you're not going to look, you're going to look a little deformed when you're growing. Well, not, well, that, she looks fine, but the stretching of that skin, because you got to grow into yourself. Yeah. I don't know. That just does, I'm sure that has been a rough journey. Yeah. Is all I'm trying to uh, say. Anna, my sister that is uh, a nurse at NUSC, yeah. she used to work in the burn unit. She said uh, it was really rough. Wow. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, I can imagine some uh, what you see there. Um, And so, okay, so she's five. And Jean, her father, barely visited her my while dad, she was in the hospital. So my dad would be there like He would have moved in. <laughs> yeah. He would have just stayed there. He would have been there night and day. Yeah, which is what uh, Kylie did whenever I was in the hospital. She literally had her own hospital bed next to mine. That's cute. And she just stayed there with me. Uh, So, yeah, that literally makes me want to vomit that he did not care at all about his child who almost died in a fire and her siblings did die in a fire. Yep. So the fire was in January and on April 11th, Jean walked into the hospital and checked his daughter out and they went back home. Was she ready to be home? No. The de- Everyone there, the doctors and the nurses, they were like, uh, she doesn't even have, like, skin yet. Why are you removing her? And we don't really get an answer. He just, he gets her out of the hospital and takes her back home. Which, he was rebuilding. So I assumed that they would just tear down the entire house. Because, yeah. like, it, it was bad. You could see the photos. But they hadn't completely tore it down. For some reason, but they had rebuilt two of the rooms. So, like, they were still living in, like, a partially burned home. That's strange. Yeah. And Lori stated that she could just smell the burning remnants of the home all the time. I wouldn't want to be there anymore. I would be traumatized. And that it smelled like death. Yeah. It probably smells like fire, burnt skin, and yeah, I wouldn't want to live there. No. (sighs) But the house was eventually completed, and Lori stated that she actually found some comfort in being there, because that's where her sisters and her mother loved her. That's so sweet. I know. Where's Diane? (laughs) We're, We're gonna get there. Now, about a year after the fire, Lori is six. And one of the neighbors and good family friend named Michael is killed in action in the Vietnam War. And Gene, for some reason, takes Lori with him to the funeral. A six-year-old? Yes. Okay. I didn't put this in here, but she kind of told a little story about him. Something about her dad, or Gene, owned this gas station, and he would come up there all the time and, like, hang out and hang out with the kids. The kids and stuff. She always really liked him. So I guess that's why he thought that he should take... His six-year-old to his funeral. Okay. It doesn't go, doesn't go well at all. Okay. So Lori asks her father when Michael is going to wake up, and Gene coldly tells his daughter that he isn't going to because he's dead. Um. And Lori did not understand what that meant and had a full mental breakdown and started yelling at everyone to wake him up. She hadn't been taught, like, the concept of death yet. Because she's six. Even though her brother, or not brother, her two sisters had died? Yes. She still didn't know? Um, we're gonna kind of circle back to that. Okay. 
Um, oh, I didn't really think about that. Yeah, because they would have had a funeral, I would imagine. I would well, hope. I don't know. I don't know if their piece of shit dad actually did that for them. But we're going to kind of get back to that. Okay. Um, okay, concept of death because she's six. And she never thought that it was a possibility that her mother could be dead. Yeah, she just thought that she left. Yeah. That's probably like, what her dad told her. Yeah, and this new realization, like, unlocked something in Lori's mind. And this is when Lori starts thinking that her father had done something terrible to her mother, and the very real fear of her father became full-on a thing. Okay. She was terrified of Jean. Yeah, I could imagine. <sighs> so, this is crazy. So, Jean had a boat, like a deep-sea fishing boat. Okay. And he would often take Lori out on the boat on these fishing expeditions. And he would throw Lori overboard and tell her to swim back to shore in the ocean. Like in the middle of the fucking ocean? In the middle. Like, at some point, she couldn't even see the shoreline. That's how far they were out in the middle of the sea. And he would say, quote, swim, you little bitch. Swim or drown. End quote. He was trying to murder his child. He was. And make it look like an accident. He sure fucking was. And this was like maybe two years after the fire and being burnt on more than half of her body, which takes forever to heal. And Lori states that she could only doggy paddle because her skin was so tight from being burnt that every time she stretched too far, it would rip her skin open and she would start bleeding. Which would lead fish to come up and nibble on you because they smell the blood. Yeah. I do not think so. This is so traumatizing. Um, but Lori always made it back to shore and her father, Jean, was always surprised to see her. And she said this happened nine or ten times before she refused to go back out on the boat. Yeah, I wouldn't either. God. She was like seven, swimming in the ocean. A baby. Oh. So as Lori got older, she came to the conclusion that Jean had maybe forgotten that Lori kind of knew, knew what, what she knew. Yeah. Or that he'd scared her so badly that she would never say anything. Yeah, like Stockholm Syndrome. Yeah. Lori lived with Jean until she turned 18, and the day... Literally the day she turned 18, she took the fuck off. I'm surprised she lasted until she was 18. I know. Mm -hmm. I would have, no. I would have left much sooner. Yeah. But, well, I'm sure she had friends there, but they definitely didn't have family there. Because no. all her family's back in Illinois. Yeah. So, uh, da -da 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 -da. she, Lori, did not want her father knowing where she was, where she worked, what she was up to. Zero contact. But Jean did pop up every once in a while, and Lori had no idea to this day how we found out, like, where she was, where, where she, she lived, lived all that stuff. where she worked. Yeah. So, a few years passed, and Lori continued to move on with her life. She graduated from college, got married, worked a lot of jobs, got a horse. All right. <laughs> cool. I was so confused. I was like, why did we bring this up? Horses are expensive, so maybe that's why. <laughs> Uh, they are expensive, but she had a story about the horse that oh. will lead to our our climax. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, okay. So, uh, Lori tells this really touching story about this horse. She said, quote, 
One day, my horse lay down to deliver a foal, and the baby was born, but the baby didn't break out of the placenta, and the baby could not breathe. And the mother, my horse, knew her child needed a breath or she would not live. So my horse jumped up and started pushing on her child, and that's what ripped the placenta. She would have died for that child, and in that moment, I understood to the core of my soul that my mother loved me that much, and I had to go back and recover her. I knew what I had to do, end quote. I just gave myself chills. <laughs> oh my god, Lori, you bad bitch. So now we're jumping way forward in time to June 9th, 1993, which is 27 years after Diane's disappearance. Diane had been a missing person for 27 years. So Lori's like, 30-ish by She's this point. She's 31. Yes. So, what does Lori do? She walks into the Phoenix Police Department with a typed letter in her hand and slides it across the table to a police officer. And this letter is very long. Okay. But I, I tried to pare it down and kind of paraphrase, so here's the gist of this letter. Quote, I need to tell you what I witnessed as a child, but first, you need to know how fearful I am of my father. He often used the phrase, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Not in a joking way. Like a serious way. He meant it. I was often beat by this man as a child and he still makes violent threats to me to this day. I was often woken up at night by my parents fighting and Susan would bring all of us kids into her room so we could hide in her closet. I woke up late one night and saw dad yelling profanities and hitting mom and throwing her around. I remember him grabbing her neck and squeezing down very hard. Mom was trying to get away from Dad, but he threw her against the rail on the door and she hit her head very hard and slid to the floor. Then later, I looked outside the window and saw my mother laying next to the pool and I thought she was sleeping. So how did she, end quote, miraculously remember this memory? Does she go to therapy? I need, I need answers. We're gonna get there. Okay. I still have, that gave me chills too. Fucking creepy. It's like a horror movie. Uh, or an episode of Criminal Minds. Yeah. So, unknowingly, Lori saw her mother's death. And just didn't remember. She probably just repressed it. Well, she did remember it. Hold on. Don't jump ahead. So, she saw her mother's death at her father's hands, and she had no concept of death at the time, and she thought that her mother was just sleeping and then realized a year later at that guy Michael's funeral that her mother was dead. Oh, okay. <sighs> so, here we go. Lori goes on to recount that her father then dug a hole in the backyard and buried Diane. What the fuck? So did we... Oh, yeah, you know what? Keep going, keep going. <laughs> Lori also stated that she would often ask her father if she could also dig a hole in the yard so that she could feed her mother. That's awful. <sighs> and she remembers several dinners asking her father to wake up Diane so that they could all eat as a family. Okay. <sighs> Lori said that she thought that her father made her mother go to sleep and buried her in the backyard. She was not confused about where she was or who had done it. She was confused between sleeping and death. Yeah, because she didn't know what death was yet. 
Ugh, holy crap. She saw it. She mm-hmm. knew where she was. Yeah. That's scary. That's terrifying. <laughs> okay. Oh, and one of these points of confusion was because the family had a pet turtle or tortoise. I, Dustin always tells me the difference. I can't remember. I think tortoises are land. Turtles are yes. water. Yes. Okay. Um. So they had this pet tortoise that lived in the backyard, and his name was Touche. Touche the tortie. <laughs> Isn't that cute? Uh, and the tortoise would disappear every once in a while, and her parents would tell her that he was hibernating, so this further solidified Lori's thought that her mother was sleeping. Yeah, her mom just thought she was walked away and went to sleep. Yeah. So, uh, cold case detective Ed Reynolds is on the case. And at first, he's like, um, not sure I believe this insane story. I'm I mean, gonna need some proof. I'm a, I would think the same, so can't really... Yeah. Lori states that her mother's body was in the backyard and that her father poured concrete over the grave the day after he buried her, intending to build a shed on the concrete slab, mm-hmm. uh, which he never did. And the family home had been sold a long time ago and was now a rental home. And Gene actually still lived in Phoenix with his new wife. Oh, poor wifey. <sighs> So Detective Ed still wasn't totally buying Lori's story and was a little weary about asking the new owners to, like, completely dig up their backyard. Um, Which not only had a pool, they also had a hot tub. Bougie. I know. Lucky. And Lori had a hot tub in Phoenix. It's hot as fuck. (laughs) I don't know. I digress. Um, Oh, maybe it wasn't. It was just like like a small pool. Maybe it was like a kid's. Like a jacuzzi type of thing? Pool. Yeah. I don't know. Um, and so, yeah, so digging up the yard, and Lori was scared that if there was a big fuss at the house, then Jean might put two and two together and realize that she had finally gone to the police. And he'd kill her or something. Exactly. So after she hands over this note, a year passes with no forward movement, but Detective Ed has been searching for a way to, like, see what was under the concrete without digging it up. To which I say, just dig it up. Yeah, or just some, do like, it. Radar or something. I don't know what you have to do. Uh, well, that that's what they do. Um, so yeah, a whole year. But Detective Ed finally locates this nonprofit agency in Colorado called NecroSearch, which is creepy sounding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this company has a machine with ground penetrating radar that can like find disturbances in soil without digging it up. Mm-hmm. And then once they find something, then they can dig it up. Yeah. So they bring this machine to the backyard, and they run it over the concrete. And what do you know? There's an underground disturbance six feet long by two feet wide in the corner of the patio, which is exactly where Lori told Detective Ed that her mother's remains were buried. Boom. Yeah. They get the concrete removed, and they dig about ten inches down and run into a human skull. They uncover the rest of the remains, finding a pair of nylon stockings tied around the skeleton's neck. Oh, that's chilling. (sighs) And Lori's all, fucking told you so. Yep, I wasn't lying, you bitch. Yeah. Um, I don't know why they didn't just dig this up sooner. Cold cases take forever to, uh, like, get funding and stuff like that, so. Because they put more emphasis on, uh, like, current Active. Yeah, current and active. Yeah, and I guess they just didn't want to jump to conclusions and go off a five-year-old's memory, who's now 31. I don't know. So, authorities want to be certain that these are the remains of Diane Kaidel, which, I mean, who the fuck else would they be? Yeah. But 
I digress. There were no identifiers remaining. Even her teeth were so badly decayed that they couldn't even use those for DNA ID. Um, which apparently the pulp of your teeth, which I hate that phrase. Pulp of teeth. <laughs> That's really gross. Um, are typically the last remaining piece of DNA on a human body. Hmm. Have you learned that from cold case? Yep. <laughs> Not cold case. What do you watch? Criminal Minds. Criminal Minds. <laughs> so first they examine a mulberry tree root, which was in the backyard, which is where the firefighters had laid the, kids. the children to re- revive them. So we're coming back to that tree. Um, and this root had grown through the skull. They send the root off to a tree specialist guy, which is called a dendrochronologist. Dendrochronologist. Okay. <laughs> That's too many syllables. Uh, and he determined that the body was placed in the ground, and then the root grew into it, and this root was 15 years old, meaning that the body had been there at least 15 years. That's, wow. Yeah. Science is fun. I love it. So then, a forensic anthropologist... <gasps> Temperance Brennan. <laughs> Bones. Uh, I need to rewatch that. It's such a good show. It really such is. Such a good one. I watched that whole thing through, like, I... without watching anything else, like, twice. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. Uh, um, so she studied the skeleton and determined it belonged to a white female between 5'4 and 5'5. Five five, and the pelvic bone indicated that they'd given birth to at least two children and was between the ages of 20 and 40 at the time of their death. It's a wide range, but good. That's a wide gap, yeah. They could have maybe definitely proved it was Diane by dental x-rays, but her dentist office had closed and there were no documents remaining from it. So just to be like 100% certain that these were Diane's remains, the forensic anthropologist used a technique called skull photograph superimposition. Which is just a fancy way of saying we're going to line up the skull with the photo of the victim's face and see if it matches. Yep. And it did. Uh, because Diane had a canine tooth that stuck out. She had a little snaggle tooth going snaggle on. Snaggle tooth. And there it was. It was Diane's skull. Or her remains. Lori stated that they did not need to do all this to prove that that was her mother. Okay, well, Lori, they kind of need to if they want to uh, try and convict your dad. Yeah. So that's how that works. That's true. So, investigators arrest 61-year-old Gene Kaidel and charge him with the murder of his wife, Diane. Bitch. Yeah. And... Told you the fucking husband did <laughs> You were right this time. (laughs) Uh, I'll let you have this one. So whenever Jean is in the interrogation room, he's on the phone, um, I'm assuming with his new wife, and he says, quote, well, apparently they think they've got some kind of evidence or something that they think they can charge me with murder. They're bringing up stuff that's 25 or 30 years old. I have no idea. They haven't fingerprinted me or mugshotted me yet, but I'm sure that's coming. Oh. End quote. Yeah, because you knew you done did it. Yeah. And he's being super arrogant and trying to, like, gain control of the situation, and it's not working. Shut the- sit the fuck down, Gene. Right? Ugh. Lori testified at the trial and recounted the tragic events that she and her older sister Susie had witnessed that night back in September of 1966. And Jean knew that they had both seen what he had done. Dun, dun, dun. So, I think we said this earlier, but if Lori had died in that fire... Jean would have got away with murder. Yeah. She wouldn't have remembered. Like, ugh. 
Can you imagine living with that? Shout out to Susie, because she made sure that her dad went to jail. Or no, not even her dad, because she was already born, whatever. Yeah, her stepdad. it's her stepdad. I know. So, yeah, Susie kind of saved this whole thing for getting justice for Diane. That's why the oldest daughters are elite. I'm the baby. I'm the oldest. You are? I'm the oldest daughter, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. Not my mom's kids. Why did I think... I have an older half-brother, but I never grew up with him. Oh. And Abby's a year older than me, but she is my stepsister. Oh, that's what I was So I grew up as the oldest. Um, your family confuses me. I know. There's so many parts. (laughs) There's a lot of moving parts. Um, okay. So, uh, um, oh, okay. So in 1994. I was born. (laughs) You were born. Mm -hmm. And the fire that happened in the home, taking Susie and Kelly's life, was changed from accidental to arson. Yeah, because he fucking set that pot on the stove on yeah. purpose, then left. He sure did, um, without hiring a babysitter. Mm-hmm. And Lori said that Diane had this like super awesome washer and dryer at their house. And whenever she was five, she was like, "Why are you going? Like, we have this we have right a washer here. and dryer." Yeah, yeah, and like. <sighs> So it was changed from accidental to arson, and their death certificates were subsequently changed to murder by arson. Yeah. Fucking genius. <sighs> so on April 17th, 1995, Gene Kydell was finally convicted for the murder of his wife. Sadly, not the murders of Susie or Kelly, but the prosecutors told Lori that if Gene was ever up for release, they would immediately charge him with their murders. Good. As well as the attempted murder of Greg and her. Good. So Gene was sentenced to life in prison at the Arizona State Prison in Florence, and he died from being an asshole, still claiming innocence on December 7th, 2004. It still makes me sad that he was only in jail for like nine years. I know. Yeah, it was not uh, super long. So what do we say to Gene? You can fuck all (laughs) All the the way way off. off. So Lori has this great quote about how his life in prison will never compare to his death when he meets his maker, which usually I'm not like super into that. Yeah. As as we know. Yes. But it was good. Um, So she said, quote, what are you going to say to your creator when he asks what you did with your time on earth? What did you do to that beautiful wife and those beautiful children I gave you? And he'll have to reply, I beat them. I murdered them. I burned them up in a horrible fire. What will my father's punishment be? Damn. Quote. <laughs> that also gave me chills. Oh, Lori is she's a bad bitch. She is a bad bitch. And on December 20th, 1995, Lori sued the city of Phoenix police and fire departments and was granted a $5.5 million settlement out of court. And this money is a payout from insurance companies. So she got the first, like, 500000 but is still fighting with them to get the rest. Okay. And last I found, she's living her best life, still in Phoenix, running her own dry cleaning business. Hell yeah, Lori. And that's that on that. But I don't, well, I don't know about fun facts, but I have some interesting facts that okay. I found in some side research. Let's hear them. So Susie and Kelly did have a proper burial, but their graves went unmarked for quite some time. 
So once Diane's remains were located, Lori wanted to bury them next to her two sisters, but fuckface Jean owned the plot that they were buried on, and he didn't want to relinquish the rights to the property. He's in jail. What the fuck? Why, how would he... What? Yeah. So Lori fought it, and she finally got her sister's remains moved, and she did have a proper headstone made to have the names of Diane, Susie, and Kelly, and a spot for her as well. And the headstone states, quote, angels fly where evil dare not tread, end That's quote. Cool. I know. That's Lori. And then my final interesting fact, um, which I'll have to pull up here and give you the gist of it. There's a very touching article written by a lady who was the half-sister of Susie. So she was Diane's first husband's daughter from a later marriage. Okay. So she was Susie's half-sister, but she never met her. Okay. So she never knew her, but she learned of her whenever she was murdered by... Yeah. Um, in the fire. And I actually bookmarked it because I knew I wouldn't remember a single thing in here. But she remembers seeing a photo of Susie at their home and being like, oh, that girl looks... She kind of looks like dad and yeah. me, and mm-hmm. like she looks familiar. And then whenever she learned that they died in that fire, or the family learned, the dad, so Diane's ex-husband, became a firefighter. That's cool. I know! And there's this really, it's a great article. It's pretty long, so I, you know, I can't read the entire thing, but it's actually on LinkedIn. <laughs> uh, of all things. It's on like her LinkedIn profile. It's called Find Your Why. Arson and Murder Drove Me to Find My Why by um tavisha grant that's cool i know so go it's a good read just about her life and how she didn't know that she had the sister and then she was murdered and then the dad All that and good stuff yeah yeah so that'd be wild <laughs> how'd you like that that, that was one. that was a criminal minds episode if i ever heard of one or uh, csi that'd be a good csi episode yeah i just i I first found that on Forensic Files, mm-hmm. and then there's actually a pretty recent show. Oh, what is the name of that show? It's where they sit there and they slide the photos over, and it's like, yeah, evil lives here. Mm, okay. It, I think it just came out on this season, so go check it out. It was episode one of this season. Sweet. So that's that on that, and we have to go drown ourselves in corn dogs and funnel cakes. Yes, and lemonade. <laughs> they have the best lemonade. <laughs> so excited oh before you go follow us on instagram at hashtag murder pod spell it all out and we also have a patreon oh we have a new patron we have a new hash brown we did a new hash brown i already forgot uh kimberly winters which reminds me of ivy winters i know yes rupaul's drag race yes winters ivy winters (laughs) yeah kayla i have her watching that now oh my god uh right now her favorite drag queen is trixie mattel hey which is a good choice it's a good choice who doesn't love trixie i love katya she i do like her Mm -hmm. but i have others Who's my uh but the Alaska Alaska's fucking great. I have her book. It's right here. It, she has a book? Yeah. It's I called need... My Name's Yours, What's Alaska? Oh my god. <laughs> uh and then um the OG, my favorite favorite. Violet Chachki. No. That's oh. my second favorite. Oh. Bianca Del Rio. Oh, well. Yeah. I mean like her in uh, as Judge Judy in Snatch Game. That is one of the best theatrical performances I have ever seen in so... my life. 
fucking funny. Mm-hmm. Everything she says is funny. Yeah. She could be talking about her dead cat. And, and I'm I was, like, uh, that's fucking hilarious. You're just cracking up. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Don't we say something else? Oh, if you like this, give, give us five, five stars, stars and leave us a review on Apple and we'll highlight it on our Instagram. Yep. And we'll give you a little shout out on the next episode we record. Yeah. Um, I think I haven't put it on there, but which with all the gifts, she left us a review. She did. Oh, she's great. She is. And Anita, she, she took our gun. She took us to Bo- to Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> I almost said Boston. She took us to Salem. <laughs> I know. I thought that was so fun. Oh, we love you guys. Um, so thank you so much for your continued support. And yeah, we love you. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm. Thanks for hanging out. Love, love you. Bye. Bianca is the OG. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hashtag Murder. Episodes are written and edited by Alex Lewis and Scarlett Hipton. Our intro and outro music is written and played by Derek Branton. Our cover art is by the lovely Lauren Walker. And our name was created by the most wonderful, supportive, and super hot boyfriend, Dustin Branton. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas, you can reach us at hashtag murderpod at gmail.com. That's H-A-S-H-T-A-G murderpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to tell all of your friends about us. Thanks. Bye. Louder? Nah. It's going to be better. They examine a mulberry. 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 <laughs> So first, Lori has this great quote about his life in prison. Um, oh, god damn it. No. They send they send the roof God damn it. Uh, well, we're <laughs> oh, oh shit. Oops. God damn it. God damn it. Um, they could have definitely No. Back in the I don't fucking know. So blah blah blah. And she said this happened like nine or time. Niner Tine. Niner Tine. <laughs> With no forward movement. Oh, my sister Abby would have been four days old. Oh. Yep. Oh, yep. Her birthday is June 5th. Fun. I that's would not have been born yet. Nope. You sure nope. weren't. Nope. <laughs> you weren't even thought about. <laughs> um, Diane had been a mer- mercy. Mercy. A Marson person. <laughs> Marson person. Uh, One moment. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>